Well, that's an easy transition since I'm speaking, so there we go. Just a few steps. All right. My head's not on straight, so I'll do the best I can. I got a sore throat and a bad head. This is not a good time to be a speaker, I guess, but I've been looking forward to to this message for some time, and um, hopefully, by God's grace, it'll mean something to somebody. We are, we are starting a series, as Pastor Brad has said, and I, and I initially wanted this series to start off with race cars and fireworks and things like that. <clears throat> not literally. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, race cars. No, not literally. <clears throat> but, um, but that's just not the way it's come together for, for various reasons. And, and, and yet, um, I felt like it's still something that's significant enough for us to share together as a, as a church. You see, I spent some time reading through some of the, um, the First Baptist documents, and I started to get this feeling that maybe the average member or attendee here at First Baptist might not be aware exactly what a church is supposed to do, or specifically what First Baptist Church is attempting to do here in our community. See, years ago, the leaders of First Baptist created what is called a MAP. Um, I'm not sure what the, what the acronym stood for, but I like ministry assessment profile. It's as good as anything. That's what we always did in college. I had to write a ministry assessment profile. Its purpose is to help direct how a person grows in becoming more like Christ. And the MAP basically had six phases. And so we got together... Well. Then we looked at the mission statement. You guys can see that. That's out, etched in the stone out there. And like all good mission statements, it has an upward element toward God and an outward element toward the world. And then in addition to that, I'm, I'm, I'm reading, getting ready for our vision lunch, and I'm reading through our covenant. That probably looks the most like this series. I didn't even realize that. You know, imagine that, right? from the Bible, right? So that's how it'll work. I'm looking at Terry because Terry was part of the discussions and things like that, and I respect him so much. I had to put that out there, sorry. (laughs) Anyway, so in addition to to that, we have the covenant, which we'll read together um, next week at our annual vision luncheon. And this covenant stresses four commitments that, the, that all FBC members promise to pursue within this local church. And so with all this information, we've boiled this down into basically four summary statements that, that kind of neatly wrap up the, the, the goals and the values of this church. And, and, and I, put them in, I put them in phrases that, 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 um, that I thought would be easy to remember. Because it would be one thing to hand out like a two or three page document and say, this is what our church is about and I want you guys to just memorize this. It probably won't happen. But if I could come up with like four bumper sticker type slogans, maybe you could remember that. And so, and so over the next, actually over the next eight weeks, <clears throat> six, two of them are going to be Easter related. So... But six of them are going to be talking about the values and the goals and the mission of First Baptist Church. And as we unfold this, we're going to unfold those four values and two aspects of our mission statement. Does that make sense? I just want to make sure you're tracking with me. I'll, put, I'll have this printed up as an insert as we go so that you guys can see where we've been and where we're going. But, um, and I'm not going to tell you what they are because you've got to be here. If you miss, we put the messages on the online and you could listen to them. We all got that technological capability nowadays. I know you do your shopping online, so you can listen to a sermon. Um, 
So, so, but today we're going to talk, we're going to talk about the first of the values. Uh, next week, Jeremy's going to talk about the second of the values. And then the following two weeks, um, Brian, Brian McIntyre and Jeremy are going to talk about two aspects of our mission statement. We'll break for Easter, and then we'll hear, hear um, two more of the values after Easter. So that's, that's what this series is in a nutshell, and that's what we're going to try and accomplish. I hope it's a good thing. I hope it's something that gets you guys excited and helps you guys come together and gather as believers with purpose. And when I say gather, I'm not talking about this, this Sunday thing only. I'm talking about when you gather together in community groups and when you gather together for ministry events. When you gather together with fellow Christians, um, just gathering together, you know, that you're thinking, you're thinking, wow, part of what God has in mind for the gathering of his believers is boom, 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 boom. And if I could put it simply enough, maybe we could get it locked in and it can help direct some, something different like, you know, like WWJD. You get something in that in your head and you just kind of remember it and go, all right, I'm going to ramble, so I'm going to stop. Move on. I'm going to use my out a lot, Jeremy. Okay. I had a concussion a few weeks ago, so I figured if I start getting stupid, I'll just say I got brain damage and deal with that. <clears throat> Which is really cool, because I can say anything I want today, and I got an out. Brace yourself. So basically, there can be confusion as to why we frequently meet. Is it because we're lonely? Is it because we feel... Is it, to be, is it to feel better about ourselves? Is it to enjoy our favorite activities? Is it to sing our favorite songs? Now, those things may or may not be a part of the function of the local church, but they are not the goals, nor should they be the motivation for why we do things at FBC. So hopefully after hearing about this for the next six weeks or eight weeks, um, I'm titling this series, FBC's Purpose, Plan, and Priority. And hopefully there'll be less confusion as to what is trying to be accomplished by connecting together at FBC. This series attempts to answer questions like what? What are we supposed to be doing? Because obviously it's not like it's just a community center where we come together and do whatever the community wants to do. There's specific things that God wants us to do. And so let's get involved with those things. So what are we supposed to be doing? Why? I think motivation is, is just as much a part of the what. God cares just as much about why we do what we do as he does what we do. So why do we do what we're doing? Or how do we do it? Does, this, does, does the scripture speak to the kinds of strategies that we utilize? I think that there's, they can be contextualized in, in different cultural contexts. But I think the scriptures do speak, at least in part, to strategies. And who? Who should be doing this and who should we be doing these things for? I want to read an extended passage of scripture. And we might not be used to that tradition, but I think it's helpful at times to read extended portions of scripture. After all, scripture is pretty significant, but we'll talk about that later. But I want to read Ephesians 4. Because as I read Ephesians 4, it's probably one of, the, one of the best. I think in this one chapter of Scripture, I think all of, all of the goals and mission and values of, of, of First Baptist Church can be summarized, at least in part. Maybe not perfectly, but at least in part. It's one passage of Scripture. And as I read this, you guys can follow in your Bibles. I'll be reading from the ESV, but 
Um, you could follow and, and read in your own Bible along with me. But as I read this, ask yourself, is this the kind of church that I'm in? Is this the kind of church I want to be in? Is this the kind of church I want to be? Is this the kind of church that I'm pointing toward? Okay? Because this is the kind of church that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talks about. <clears throat> he writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your that that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that, but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice, Every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath 
and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I want First Baptist to be. And I think the values that we have set up and that we hopefully are trying to point toward as a church um, will be a part in shaping us to be that kind of church. So let me pray before I talk about the first of our values here. Lord, I pray that you be with me. Be with my mouth. Yeah, be with my mouth. Help me not say anything that's not helpful, confusing, destructive, but only that would, that would be edifying and truthful and that would lift up and spur on that we might become the people that you want us to be. I pray that your spirit would protect ears from hearing folly and quicken ears to hear the truth and hearts and wills to obey it in a way that reflects who you are. So be with me as I try and speak these truths today. I pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So before I tell you the actual phrase for the first of our values, I need one volunteer. It involves wearing one of these. You don't have to wear both. My students used to call me a leprechaun and... And I don't know that this helped when I wore this. It's a very cool hat, though, isn't it? But if you wear this, you have to wear it like this. All right, that's, part, that's the way the game goes. So come on up. Come on up. Or you can wear these. Which one do you want to do? You want to wear these? These are, probably, these are probably safer. You probably want to step down there before you put those on. Okay. I covered the lenses so he can't see very, very well. You can see over here, but, but that's about it. Now, here's the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the task that I got for you. I hid something in the room. Well, I, don't, I didn't hide it. I don't know where it is. Somebody hid something in the room here, and I need you to go find it. Go. No, it's not. No. But hold on, hold on. Don't go on the stage. You, you got the, there's, there's, my goodness. Isn't your dad playing the praise team? You know better than to go blindfolded by instruments. All right. Now, I do know who knows. So I'll ask, Matt, can you do the warmer, colder thing? And just do, do as quickly as you can. Is he cold or warm where he's at? Cold. Warmer? Okay, so you're going the right direction. Still warmer? Cool. Oh, 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 warmer. Is it on the stage? Ah! Oh. <laughs> now you're making me cough. All right, let's come up. Let's come up here. I'm gonna come up here and protect some stuff here. I don't even see it. You did a good job, Matt. He said it's on the stage, and I'm protecting the instruments. I'll let you know. It's a book. Does that help? It's a, it's a book of sorts. That's not a book. 
I didn't even see it. Oh, there it is. You take the glasses off and, and look on the tray there, and you'll see a book there. That's pretty good there, Matt. All right, so, so no, you're not done. I, I'll take the glasses, though. Um, you're not done. What is that? It's a Bible. You sure? All right, well, then find your favorite verse and read it to me. Here you go. It's Afrikaans. So, it's a, it's a language. It's a Dutch language in South Africa. Thank you. You can have a seat. <laughs> Give him a hand. Thank you very much. Years ago, when I was doing youth pastor work, um, we, had a, we had a group of kids that didn't have Bibles, and so my wife and I bought them Bibles, and we played this game where we, um, actually in that case, we turned all the lights off in the room and blindfolded the kid and had, and had them try and find the, this Bible in the room. The point being, though, is that, is that this is a precious book, isn't it? But the truth is, a lot of us, some, many don't even see the book, don't even know that it exists, and need someone to tell them about the book. What's the, what's the scripture say? That we're blind, Right? They were blind, and they need somebody to, to, to guide them. But even when someone's guiding them, sometimes it's hard to, to find it, right? So, but even when I took the, the glasses off, right, then he was able to locate it. And at first he said it was a Bible, mostly because probably the leather back. But then when I said, are you sure, he's like, what is this? Wasn't even sure it was a Bible at, at first. And then when I asked him to read it, he wasn't able to read it. And so that's really the truth when it comes to the Bible is that there's a lot of help that's needed. We need, and especially if the book is that important. Listen to this verse. <clears throat> Romans 10. Paul writes this, But what does it say? What is it there? It's the scriptures that he's talking about. What does scripture say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So this is a salvation issue. Is that important? Yes. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How? How? How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing 
through the word of Christ. The first value that we're going to start with for, for First Baptist Church, I'm going to use the phrase communicating the word. Communicating the word. Just kind of remember that. One of the values of First Baptist Church is that we are a church that communicates the word. And what I, my goal is with our message today is to give you some confidence that this is something worth communicating. In fact, next week when we, um, and let me, I'm going to forget this. I forgot it last service and, and Brian said he'll fix that in his, in his, his class. Um, but tonight, tonight at 6.30 in the family room, I'm just going to hang out down there um, and just have a loose, casual discussion. Because there's, there's a lot of layers with, with each of these messages that we can't possibly tackle in just 30 or 40 minutes. So whoever would like to hear more about the topic of the, the, the word of the word, the Bible, and, and what, how that fits into the values of First Baptist, we're just going to have a loose, um, casual discussion about that in the family room. So whoever would like to, please be there around 6.30, and we'll see where it goes. So anyway, after I talk, you'll probably have a lot of questions, so we'll see. <clears throat> what in the world is wrong with that guy? So... That's not a question about the Bible, by the way. But next week, when we, um, when, we meet down, when we meet for the vision luncheon, one of the first things we're going to read together is this. Because we value the authority of scriptures to lead us toward Christ-likeness, we covenant to, those of you who are members of First Baptist Church, remember, you promised to do this. Do you remember what you promised to do? Well, maybe you shouldn't have promised. I don't know. <laughs> Think about this. We, we covenant to pray that God would reveal his wisdom to us in all areas of life and doctrine. Regularly sit under the teaching of God's word. Regularly read, study, and meditate on God's word as individuals. Allow God's word to continually help us grow closer to the image of Christ. Continually review all personal and corporate decisions in light of scripture. I stake my life on this book. I literally stake my life on this book. I, I hope I do. Obviously, until, the, until, until we come to the point of death, it's hard to know for certain. But I pray to God that I stake my life on this book. I'm banking on it. Is that, is that, a, is that a foolish thing to do? To stake your life on the Bible? <clears throat> Paul says it this way. Paul goes so far as to say, as to say that Christians are the most to be pitied if the things we believe are not true. That's a lot to say when we talk about our scriptures. If we say we believe this, Paul says that our belief in this should be such that we are most to be pitied in the world, okay, if we are believing a false claim. So it's important that we believe this, at least have enough enough undergirding that belief that can give us confidence and a rock-solid foundation. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this, Now if Christ is proclaimed in the Bible as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of, of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised from the dead, 
whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That is a huge statement. In fact, that's a sermon right there. Just that phrase. This is the second half of verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In verse 20, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. So in this passage, everything hinges on the resurrection. And for the Corinthians, this was passed on by testimony. But for us, it is primarily learned from the Bible. So we have to stake a lot in the Bible, don't we? Notice that Paul says that this life for the Christian is not a favorable life and should be pitied if there is no eternity awaiting us. When persecution hits, when fiery arrows are shot toward us, then we must have a rock-solid confidence in what we believe. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to have an exhaustive academic uh, argument for the authenticity or the inspiration of the Bible or the infallibility of the Bible. But we should be able to have enough confidence that if we find ourselves following Christ, and following Christ means taking up our own crosses, hopefully you can have that kind of confidence in this word. I do. I think I do. Obviously, it's hard to say until... Someone comes in and rubber meets the road, right? But I pray that I have that kind of faith. <clears throat> when I was teaching, I know I, I, every message I, 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 I preach, I always go back to when I was teaching, but those were, those were uh, very, um, I don't know, important years to, for me. But I, my 10th grade curriculum, I spent two or, three year, two or three months starting off defending what we call the inspiration of Scripture. That is, that the Bible comes from God. I, I didn't want to lead them in learning about the Bible if they didn't have confidence that this Bible had an origin, a divine origin. The term inspiration comes from 2 Timothy 3.16, which states that all Scripture is breathed out by God. This is a very involved topic. But for today's purposes, I will give you one of the more significant issues that gives me confidence in the Scriptures. I would love to someday actually maybe do a class, I don't know, a Sunday evening thing or something, when things level out and I have more time and I'm more sane. But, um, but it, would be, it would be fun to go through. There's layers and layers and layers and different angles on this topic of inspiration especially when you get into textual criticism. You talk about the historic transmission of the text and, and the various authors and the unsigned documents and the fragments. and it's, it's fascinating and confusing all at the same time. But the truth is, this, this is the, the, what I want to give you today is just one of, one of the simple arguments that, that I like that helps me hold to my confidence in the Scriptures. And my confidence in the Scriptures lies primarily in my confidence in Jesus. I, Jesus has done something inside of me that makes me trust Him. I know Him, I love Him, I believe He loves me, and I trust Him. 
And so what Jesus tells me, then I have to trust. Okay? And so here's some of the things that Jesus says about the Scriptures. What does, what, what does Jesus think? How does Jesus describe the Scriptures? Well, first of all, and there's more than this. I just picked a handful of things. First of all, Jesus says that all of the Scriptures are about Him. You ever think about that when you're reading, I don't know, pick a book, Numbers? They're about Jesus. They are. Somehow or another, they're about Jesus. When you're reading through the prophets, guess what? They're about Jesus. In, in Luke 24, verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Or John 5, 39, Jesus rebukes the, the, the teachers and says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, that's the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Man, if he wasn't God, he shouldn't talk that way, right? <laughs> He's telling them, you read the scriptures because you think they have eternal life. Well, they do, but you know why? Because they're about me. Secondly, Jesus says that the scriptures have more authority than miracles. And I'm not going to read the whole, the whole story. It's Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. But it's the parable of, of, of Lazarus and the, and the rich man. And, um, and the rich man dies. You guys, a lot of you might have heard this story, but the rich man dies in this story that Jesus tells. And he's, for, for all practical means, I'll just say he's in, he's in hell for, for this story. And he doesn't like it, obviously. And, um, and he begs, just give me a drop of water to cool my tongue. I'm in agony here. And, um, and, and Abraham tells him, I believe it's Abraham he's talking to. And Abraham tells him, there's, there's, no, there's a chasm. When we die, there's a chasm. There's no crossing over. It's, that's it. It's done. Uh, we're, in our, we're in our place of destiny now. All right? And he says, well, can you at least warn my family? Can you, I have brothers, I have family. Can you warn them and let them know because they, they don't want to be in this place? And Jesus says, they have, the, they have the law of Moses. They have the prophets. They have the scriptures, basically. And, and, and the rich man says, well, yeah, duh, I, I know that. But if, if someone would raise from the dead and warn them, surely they would believe. You know, a resurrection miracle. If a resurrection miracle happened, surely they would believe. And what, is Jesus, and, and what does Abraham tell, tell the poor man who's, who's agonizing in hell? If they don't believe the scriptures, they won't believe even if someone's raised from the dead. Now, that's a, the, the story's primarily about the, 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 the permanence of, of death. But do you hear in the midst of the story the power of Scripture that, that Jesus declares? You could have resurrection happen, and the Scriptures have more power, have more power for belief than even miracles. The Scriptures have more authority than, than miracles. Jesus puts a very high value on Scripture. In fact, in Matthew 5, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's another way of saying the scriptures. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, 
Not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. He said, this book will last. This will last. Nothing will pass away. And believe me, if you studied history, there have been attempts, some pretty serious attempts to make this pass away. Read a little teeny book called How the Irish Saved Civilization. It talks about one of the attempts and how the Irish monks preserved the scriptures in the, in the monasteries. I don't know. But, um, and if it wasn't for them, a lot of the scriptures could have been destroyed during that time. So if Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, the Messiah, and he has complete confidence of the authority and the reliability and the detail, every iota, every little strike of a pen, the detail of the scriptures, he has confidence in. And I trust him, should I not also trust what he trusts? So I trust the scriptures. But you might be thinking in your head, well, that's the Old Testament he's speaking of. Does Jesus give me confidence to the New Testament? I say yes. <clears throat> in John 14, he gives us a little bit picture of this. He's speaking to his disciples and he says this. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit from the Father whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. I love that passage. I, I, I see Jesus here. He's heading to the cross at this point. The disciples, they're probably on to it, but don't want to believe it. You know, they don't want to think that he's leaving, even though he said it several times. And they're probably nervous. They're just like, oh my goodness, he's going to send us out. We're going to have to teach. He said a lot. And, and I forgot my iPhone. I haven't been taking notes. How am I going to remember this stuff? Obviously, I cannot, I cannot speak the way that Jesus spoke. And he says, it's all right, relax. Because the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of everything that I've said. Okay? He'll remind you of everything that I've said. Of course, you might be thinking now, well, that speaks for the Gospels, Right? Yeah, but, but don't, don't the letters go beyond what Jesus said? As if there's more to say that Jesus didn't teach? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because <clears throat> John 16, Jesus says this to his disciples. I, and remember, he's, he's heading to his death here. And he says, I still have many things to say to you. Well, how are you going to say them? You're going to the cross. It's a good time to tell us that you left a lot out of the curriculum. And now we have the final exam, you know? So he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus promised. He predicted. He said, I have perfect confidence in every detail of, of the Old Testament. I have confidence that my Holy Spirit will remind you of everything that I taught you. And he'll continue to teach you the things that you aren't ready for me to teach you right now. Therefore, if my faith is in Jesus, and I love Jesus... I can trust the Bible. Okay? Now, keep in mind what I, just, what I said before this. This is just one argument. This, to me, this is the strongest, for me, 
I know different people have different ways of thinking through this. But this is the strongest one and the quickest one I go to when I, when I have to rely on this word and stand on it and stake my life on it. What does the Bible say about itself? Deuteronomy 8 says that every word, that, that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible is vital to life itself, more important than life itself. In Isaiah 40, verse 8, it says that Scripture will outlast creation. Remember the little, um, the, the little um, display that was put out uh, last, I guess it was last fall or last summer. Uh, it was last fall, and it said, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. The word of God, the Bible, will outlast creation itself. The books in the Bible claim to be Scripture in various ways. 2 Timothy 3 says that Scripture is completely able to guide us in every righteous thing that God calls us to do. He has a great passage, verses 14 through 17 in 2 Timothy 3. In Hebrews 4, the writer says that there's a life to the Word of God that speaks to our souls in order to draw us into Christ-likeness. That's the passage that talks about a double-edged sword that cuts dividing to bone and marrow. The writers themselves declare the other writers to write Scripture. So these are, these are some of the thoughts that give me confidence when I think about the origin or the inspiration of Scripture. But there's a second thing, and that has to do with the interpretation of Scripture. We begin with trust in the Bible, but when I finished with that, like when I was teaching my 10th grade course, I would finish my teaching on inspiration, then I'd teach for another couple months on interpretation. And there's no time for this today, but to highlight the seriousness of this aspect, consider verses like James 3.1 that says that not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Matthew 5 Jesus says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. The seriousness, not just to reading the scriptures, but to understanding them and communicating them well. There are layers of tools from simple to dizzying, from grammar to cross-generational etymology, from historic and cultural implications to contemporary contextualization. This discipline is called hermeneutics and should be a core approach to any biblical preacher. At the same time, there are some straightforward disciplines that can be practiced in order to avoid some common pitfalls that are too often heard on the radio and even more often by television preachers using texts for their purposes of keeping ratings. But this is another discussion, not for today. <clears throat> it's another class that I'd love to teach the, on, on interpretation and just simple tools to help us read the Bibles in a way that keeps us safe. So it's inspiration and interpretation. But finally, let me close with this last thing, illumination. When sickness sets in, when trials burn around you, <clears throat> when temptation seems overwhelming, at these times, will you remember the arguments about the authenticity of the Bible? I don't know any who can. At this time, there must be something more internal that gives us hope and confidence. Now, I'm going to read you three quotes. One of them's quite complicated. 
So if, if, it's, if you're like, I have no idea what that's about, just wait for the next quote. <clears throat> but the first one is just a phrase. It's called the key test of canonicity. And then I'm going to do my best to explain this. The key test of canonicity is this. The testimony of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of believers that the book is from God. It sounds weak, but it works. Okay? In other words, what it's saying is the testimony of the Holy... How, how do you know that the scriptures are from God? Because the Holy Spirit tells you that they're from God. Basically. But listen, let me, let me muddy this up a little bit, and then I'll try and clean it up. Listen to what John Calvin says on the Spirit's illumination of Scripture. He writes, For the Lord has so knit together the certainty of His Word and His Spirit, in other words, there's a close link between the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures, that our minds are duly imbued with reverence for the Word when the Spirit shining upon it, that's the Bible, enables us there in the Bible to behold the face of God. When the Spirit enables us to see the face of God in the Scriptures, is what Calvin's saying. And, on the other hand, we embrace the Spirit with no danger of delusion when we recognize Him in His image, that is, in His Word. The safest and most accurate way to encounter the Spirit is in the Bible. Now, if that sounds confusing, let's listen to how J.I. Packer puts it. And in, in, in talking about the inward witness. <clears throat> a little bit easier to understand. Thus, God authenticates Holy Scripture to us as his word, not by some mystical experience or secret informative private wi- privately whispered into some inner ear, not by human argument alone, strong as this may be, nor by the church's testimony alone, impressive as this is when one looks back over 2,000 years. God does it. Rather, by means of the searching light and transforming power whereby Scripture evidences itself to be divine. The impact of this light and power is itself the Spirit's witness by and with the Word in our heart. Argument testimony from others and our own particular experiences may prepare us to receive this witness, but the imparting of it like the imparting of faith in Christ's divine saviorhood, is the prerogative of the sovereign Holy Spirit alone. The illumination of the Spirit witnessing to the divinity of the Bible is universal Christian experience and has been so from the beginning, though many Christians have not known how to verbalize it or to handle the Bible in a manner consistent with it. All right, let me put it my way. Maybe I should have just done that and left it alone. When you get saved, what is one thing that happens? Hmm? Sins are forgiven. And the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. That's said many times in many ways in the Scriptures. One of them would be Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. All right, so step one. When you become a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells within you. Now, that's amazing a reality, an absolute amazing reality, which the implications are endless. We could teach on things of conscience. We could teach on things of sanctification. We could think of, teach on things of, 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 a, of enabling work that comes from that. Um, 
But that starts off with part one. The Spirit is in you if you're a Christian. How do we get the words of God? Does the Scripture tell us how we got these? Who specifically worked on bringing these words to the writers? The Holy Spirit. Yep. And, and we get that from primarily, it's in many places, um, we, Jesus speaking of David and, and things like that. But in, um, in 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So I take those two realities, that the Holy Spirit lives within me if I'm a believer. The Holy Spirit brought the words that are in the Scriptures. Now, if that's true... Even if I'm reading this book for the first time, if I'm an authentic believer, right? Do you think there's going to be some kind of magnetic pull there? There's going to be something inside you? Even if I'm not making sense of these. Some of this is hard. Peter says that about Paul's writings. that He writes on difficult topics. All right, Even if this is hard, something inside me says, this is right. It's almost as if The Holy Spirit is there and saying, those are my words. Can you see them? Those are my words. Does that make sense? To me, that's powerful. Why do I trust the Bible? Because when I open it up, it's alive. When I open it up, it's my God talking to me. When I open it up, the Spirit in me says, those are my words. Pay attention to them. And yes, you might not understand them all very well. And yes, you might even have a harder time applying them consistently. But they're my words. Trust them, and I hope you keep trusting them. If you're a believer, that's, that's how, how we should be viewing the Bible. And when this happens... The Bible becomes less of a chore and a burden and more of a delight. Not that the worries of this world with all of its time-bound distractions won't discourage us. But when we battle this and spend time in the Bible, our spirits, in union with the Holy Spirit, take delight in the Bible and we can speak like the psalmist in Psalm 19. Listen. The law... Of the Lord, and these are just different ways of saying scripture, basically. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So again, the, the first value and goal of First Baptist Church is that we are a church that in all things whether it's our fellowship, whether it's our casual entertainment, 
whether it's the community groups, whether it's our church services, whether it's our, wit- our, 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 um, our, our witnessing attempts, in all things, we are communicators of the Word of God. First Baptist is a church that communicates the Word. So let me pray and then send you off. Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we are not left just guessing. We thank you for your spirit that knits it together and gives us a unity. Even if our sinful nature often taints and tarnishes and and tries to divide that unity. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as a church specifically and help us to ever be growing in our understanding of your word, in our applying of your word, of our application of your word as we learn how to love and forgive and spur on and equip. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a church that in all things we are communicating truthfully and accurately the things that come from your word. Help us to ever be growing in our trust that we can stand on this as our hope and our future and the promises you declare to us from that word. I pray you bless us for your purposes and for your will and for your ever-increasing glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. First Baptist, go be a church that communicates the word of God.